Morning, church. How are we doing? You guys good? Um, I want to let you know about something that is happening. It actually just happened in the last hour for the first time, to my knowledge, on this campus. And that was something called the chapel venue. The chapel venue is going to launch April, let's say the 9th at 9. And it's going to be in the building straight across from here, our H2 building. And here's what it's designed around. There are people in the room that would go, yeah, I love what Heights does. It's just a little too loud for me. Right? Good, good. Or there are those in the room that you're like, "Ah, I love it. It's just a little too big. So so here's what we want to do, because there's also people in the room that go, I like what you do, but can we make it louder? Because I can hear the person next to me, right? And and so so we're, we're all across the board. But here's the thing. From a DNA perspective, I can't change the fact that you like quieter. From a a DNA perspective, what's wired into you to want smaller, we can't change that. And so what we're kind of acknowledging is going, what what if we could meet those needs? And so what we're doing and what we just did in the last hour is over in the H2 building is we had a quieter, smaller heights service, a chapel venue. And so that's launching April the 9th at 9. That'll be going on. And, and it's just something we're trying. We're just looking at it. So there's live worship. There's hosts. There's all the videos you see in here. Everything's the same because we like the DNA of Heights. We just want it quieter and smaller. So that's, that's what we're providing. And then, and then whatever you see here message-wise is being put there message-wise. And, and so you're not missing out on anything that way. But that's, that's what's going on in Life Church, which is exciting. Yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff. Um. Anyone in the room a sports fan of any team, any team, doesn't matter which one, right? You're, you're, a, you're a sports fan, okay? You have your team, maybe you play on a team. Um, there's something about sports fans that happens every single year in the rhythm of their life. And, and it's, it's every year at a certain time of the year, depending on the sport, there's this thing called the draft that happens, right? And... and Especially if you're a, a Browns fan, this is an important time of the year for you, right? Because, because the Browns are horrible, let's be honest. Um, but, but I watch in my friend Brad, I watch every year the exact same thing happen over and over. And it's this, John, the draft's coming, the draft's coming, the draft's coming. Cool. I don't even watch it. I'm a Steeler fan. We don't have our hope in the draft, bro. Um, <laughs> Right, but, but he's there, and he's like, no, 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 it's the draft, man. This, this, is, this is the year, John. This is it. And then he comes in after the draft, and he's like, just see who we get? You see who we got? Like, like this is it. We, we are going to win the Super Bowl. And I'm like, Brad, the player's 22. There's no way you're going to win the Super Bowl with a 22-year-old. But, hey, if you believe it, good for you. And, and, and no matter the sport, no matter, there's a time in the year where you start to make your team better in the hope of the future and what's going to happen in the future becomes your, you, you anchor to that and you move towards that. I mean, even if you coach 
a team. Your, your hope is in what kids are going to show up at the tryouts and our team's going to be better this year. And, and, and so your hope is in this moment, but you're really looking to the future and you're going, this is it. This is the one. And, and you're anchored. And if you're in the room and you would say, I am a Christian today, then there is a principle that you should be living by. There is a principle that should be overarching your life. And it's this, that Christians live like the future is now. Christians live so zeroed in on the future that the future is now. And last week we were hanging out with Kristoff and, and our glass. And you know, I have those moments where it's like, you know something's good, but, but then you do it and you're like, oh, that was really good. I had one of those moments last week and it was with this guy. And, and here's why. For a long time, the language of in Christ... I can theologically explain it to you. I can give you all the, but, but there's never been a visual that I've gone, that explains it. And last week, this little thing right here, that before the service, I'm going, ah, I hope this connects. After, I'm going, oh, that's, that's it. That's it. Is that to see Kristoff is to see the glass, and to see the glass is to see Kristoff. And we said last week, when you are in Christ, to see Jesus is to see you. And to see you is to see Jesus. Why? Because you are in him. But here's, here's the problem. Last week, I got done and I'm like, I got more. And, and during the week, God's going, you need to go back. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah, you need to go back and finish what you started. And, and so we're going to dive in today back at the point that we ended last week because there's some things, well, we talked about identity, that we talked about things like acceptance, so you are fully accepted by God. By the way, that means you should be the most accepting person on the planet because you understand what it took for God to accept you. You should then in turn accept others. You are loved by God. You should be the most loving people on the planet, right? So we went through these identity things that you're forgiven, and, and we had our list that we went through. That's all identity. I want you to also know that when you are in Christ, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, it says, indwells you as a seal, as a guarantee of what's taken place. The Holy Spirit is in you. You are packed with God himself. He's giving you the power to live out everything you need to live out. So, so in this case, where, where you're accepted and you're loved, he's given you the power now to love others. If you ever get to the point where you're like, oh, I'm so tired of, well, it's probably because you're doing it and you need to back off and let the power of God that is within you do it. And then there's another piece of this. that The Bible says that when you're in him, when you're in Christ, to see you is to see Christ, right? When you're in him, it says that he gave you spiritual gifts. You have been blessed with spiritual gifts. You have been packed full in Christ. You are packed full with everything you'll ever need for everything he wants you to do. It's in you today. You have the potential today. You are packed full of potential in Christ today to do whatever God has for you. That means that there is nothing that God hasn't put in front of you that he hasn't given you the gifting and given you the power to accomplish. It's if you have the faith enough to walk it out. It's in him, in you. So Philippians chapter 3, let's jump in. Let's go back to Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, download the Bible app. It's phenomenal. If you're using a Bible and you're like, I don't know where Philippians is, 
you hit Colossians, you went too far. Hit Ephesians, you didn't go far enough. You're in the last quarter, roughly. Um, But somewhere in there, you'll find Philippians. And in Philippians, it's this language that Paul was grabbing. He's grabbing onto this, I'm in Christ, I'm in him. And then he begins to unpack it. And I think the next part of unpacking this is, is where we're at today. And he says, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's going, I, I don't have it all yet. I haven't grasped it all yet. I haven't attained it all yet. I haven't taken it on yet. He's going, but I, I, this is what I'm doing. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind. We talked about your past last week. You have to let your past die or it won't let you live. You have to. It's nailed to a cross. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. Next verse. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for, prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The language that he's using here, he's going, I'm packed with all this potential. I'm packed with what God wants to do in and through me. He's already put into you, so now let it live out of you. He's going, I'm, I'm attaining, I'm moving. He's going, I'm pressing on. That word press on is followed by, he goes, I'm straining. And both of those are athletic terms. You ever seen um, sports, athletic stuff, sports? I've just lost the word. Science, sports science. You ever seen it where they slow them down in slow-mo? They take the athlete and they go, at this moment when this happened, and they, they slow it down, and you can see every muscle and the athlete straining. That's the visual that's given here. It's the straining that Paul's going, I am straining. I am giving everything I've got. Every spiritual muscle inside of me is straining and pushing and moving. And it's moving in a specific direction. For which God, to win the prize... So there's this goal, there's a target. His eyes are fixed on it. He's straining, he's moving to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, what's interesting, when this book was written, Paul had already written a whole bunch of other books. And in those other books, there's, a, there's a one called 1 Thessalonians. And, I, and this week I learned something new. I was reading a commentary, and the guy goes, hey, by the way, you know, he's going through there, and he goes, every chapter of First Thessalonians, Paul talks about the return of the Lord. I was like, no, that's not true. So I read it. It's true. Just in case you're wondering, save your time later. But Paul, Paul's writing, and it's not a very long book, and every single chapter, he mentions what? Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Okay? So every single chapter, then he writes 2 Thessalonians. Guess what 2 Thessalonians is all about? If, you, if you've been to a memorial, it's all about, and you'll, you'll find out quickly, because 2 Thessalonians will be used, um, what happens when the Lord returns. It's all about the Lord's return. So Paul's writing, he takes his first two books, and he goes, it's about the return of the Lord, return of the Lord, return of the Lord, return of the Lord, return of the Lord. We're going to jump into 2 Corinthians in a little bit. 2 Corinthians is in between, and what you get in Philippians is he's still focused where? On the call, where? Heavenward. So now he's going, whether Jesus comes here or I go there, that is what I'm straining towards. I am living like, this is it. I'm living like, this is it. I'm on mission for, this is it. Right? You don't know in this next moment, you don't know if you're going to be here. You know how I know that? I watched a man on this aisle a while ago have a heart attack. 
There's no guarantee. You're in church. There's no guarantee. And what Paul's saying is he's going, Jesus is coming back. We don't know when. I've been praying, by the way, this week, how cool it would be. And this is probably my creative mind going a little too far. But how amazing it would be is if we're talking about this, God just rips open the skies and Jesus comes back. How great would that be? Right? That fence I got to build, I don't have to build it no more. You know what I'm saying? That to-do list, gone. Right? But it could happen right now. The skies could open. That's the song that talks about the clouds are rolled back like a scroll. And the Lord, the victorious, the one we just sang about, the one that's conquered all, he's coming. And that's what Paul anchors into. He goes, I'm called heavenward. I'm not called here. I'm called heavenward. He goes on later and talks about being a citizen of heaven. He's anchored into this belief that Jesus is coming back. And it affected him in phenomenal ways. I was at dinner last night with my brother and sister-in-law. And we're, we're sitting there and they're asking how the sermon's going. I'm like, eh. And so we're just talking about it. And, and we're talking about the idea of, of Paul and Thessalonians and what he wrote. And my brother goes, yeah, man, I just saw a documentary. And the guy was going and he was following the footsteps of Paul. He goes, what they discovered is Paul walked 10,000 miles. 10,000 miles in a time when if you went over 100 miles from your home, you were like at the end of the earth. 10,000 miles. Why? Because he set his goal. He set his purpose. He knew that he was in him. He'd been packed with potential. And as he was packed with potential, he said, I am pushing on. Why? Because he's coming. He's coming. There's not time. There's not time. He's coming. And so I brought a friend to help me out today. What is it? Man, you guys are good. It's a rope. I don't have a boat. Be nice to have a boat on the other end. See what's, what's amazing about the rope, and some of you may have seen this, and I don't apologize for that because we just all need reminders. The rope represents eternity. By the way, did you know that God calls himself the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end? So, so take eternity as far as you can that way, and on the end of it, at the start, is who? God. Take it all the way that way, as far as you can, on the end of it, is who? God, and that's eternity. And the black tape, this is you. This, this, is, this represents your entire life. Okay, it's probably a little big. It'd be more, probably actually be better if we just put a dot. But the, but the black tape represents your life. And what Paul's saying in this is he's going, I recognize that there's something far greater than what I can see. And I'm living for that. I'm living and I'm pushing on for that, not for the tape. And you see, the problem is so many of us are so busy going, man, I, I only have 80 years, right? I only have 80 years. So, so I'm going to spend my 80 years. I'm going to spend 60 of them working, 20 of them playing, and that'll be good. And so you begin to take your time and you begin to put all your time and all your energy and all your effort and all your money into what? Building something and building something 
and building something. And here's what's crazy. The tape ends. And whatever is here does what? It remains. And I want to show you something because... Because while you're building for your retirement, like you're planning, right? I'm going to work hard. I'm going to retire young, right? So that's you. Let's play on the young side, right? So you're going to retire at, pick your number, 35, right? You're going to work hard, gain your millions. Everybody who's over 35 are laughing right now. Um, But you're going to work hard. You're going to gain your millions. You're going to retire at 35. The only problem is you're not guaranteed. 35. We did a memorial for an 11-year-old in here yesterday. You're not guaranteed. In fact, you might stop breathing now. In fact, the Lord could come back now. In fact, you might not make it to your car today. And here's the thing. What are you building into What are you grabbing hold of? Everything that God has put in for you for this mission that you're on. Everything that he's packed into you for you to do on the planet. What are you using it for? Are you living for the tape or are you living for the rope? Which part of you is going, man, I'm so stuck on just this part. This is all I see. And God's going, I want you to see that you have a call that is heavenward, that is so much bigger. And so Paul says this in the next verse. All of us, then, who are mature. Like, I'm not calling you immature, by the way. Paul is. <laughs> all of you who are mature should take such a view of things. All of you who are mature, he's going, all of you who are grabbing, all of you who are seeing all that you are in Christ, all of you that are seeing this rescue and the spirit that's indwelling and, and this life that God has packed into you, the potential that's packed into you, he's going, all of you, who are mature should take such a view of things. And at some point, some of you think differently. God will fix that too. He'll make it clear to you. Next verse. Only let us live up. Only let us live up to what we've already seen. Only let us live where? Up. Only let us press on to what? To what God has for us. What does God have for you? Every single one of you, he has a calling on your life and it's called forever with him. Right? And all of a sudden, if I take the tape analogy and I start to go, okay, what does it mean to live up? All of my value systems change. All of a sudden, when I start to hold the tape and I start to go, oh man, that fence I'm going to build, it's going to rot, decay, fall down. It's not going to last. That, that Range Rover black on black that I really, really want, all of a sudden, my values go, my Mazda's probably just fine. That bank account that I thought was so big and safe and secure, all of a sudden doesn't look so much. That relationship that I'm pouring my time into, I'm pouring my time into, and I'm hoping it'll save me and I'll save them, all of a sudden in the light of eternity I go, my values change completely. You see, the mission has always been what? People. People. Jesus came for what? People, right? Come on, church. Are we clear on this one? Like, it's kind of a big deal. If Jesus came for people, then people got to be really important, right? The only thing you can take off this planet is what? People. 
The only thing going off the planet, as far as you're concerned, is your soul. That's it. So everything else, when I put it in light of the future and what's there and what's ahead, when then all of a sudden, Paul walking 10,000 miles doesn't seem so crazy because he went 10,000 miles for what? People. Because Paul got that the mission was people. That Jesus came, Jesus spent his life, Jesus exhausted himself, Jesus died for people. So all of a sudden, when you go to work tomorrow, that person that doesn't even know you're a believer, all of a sudden they become really, really important. Because they're the most valuable thing at that workplace. When you go to school, and it's, it's just about survival, right? Come on, it's school. It's just about, man, if I just get through these four years and avoid everybody else and don't get made fun of, and life will be good. I'll become a doctor, and then I'll do whatever. All of a sudden, all those people that you're so scared of, all of a sudden you're packed with potential. You're put in a place that just you walk, by the way. Everything that's been put in you, in Christ, and in the spot that you are in life is for you to walk out. You've been given gifts. You've been given a mouth. You've been given a life. And what you got to do is pour out him. Why? Because he is the reason that we have victory. He is the reason we have purpose. And people are the mission. And so my responsibility is that I live with a focus and a goal going, man, I know this is who I am in Christ. I don't have to fight for my acceptance. I don't have to fight for all this stuff, right? I don't have to worry about the power to live this out. Why? Because God's packed it all in me. What I've got to do now is get up and do something. Get up and go. Get up and chase people. Why? Because they're the mission. They always have been the mission. And they always will be the mission. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's kind of the same like, because everything I've told you so far doesn't mean anything unless you have the faith to get up and do something. Same for me. I'm not pointing fingers. Like everything I just told you doesn't mean anything if I don't get up and have the faith and walk it out. If I don't get up and start living for the finish line. Start living with a purpose. Start living like this is all real. Start living like it matters. Right? None of it matters if we don't have the faith. And that's what he starts to say here. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. You know why it's easy to build a big kingdom here on the earth of all the, all the stuff that you can get? You know why it's easy? Because you can see it. You can see it. So if I go and buy the Range Rover, I have the Range Rover. Right? But if I walk into somewhere tomorrow and I go, man, I know you're telling me to talk to that person, God, but uh, I don't know the outcome and I might get rejected. And he goes, John, have the faith to walk across the room and open your mouth and let me do the work. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. It's faith. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. What is unseen what we're chasing, what we're called to. It's eternal. It's eternal. Those people that you rub shoulders with every single day, those people that live next door to you, those people that are in that club, those people, those people have what's called a soul that will live forever. It's eternal. But you just see them as people instead of seeing them as 
the soul. See how it switches? The unseen is the soul. You can't see it. But I'm going to have the faith to chase it because that's eternal. And so it says we fix our eyes. He goes on in verse 1. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed. I love how he says the earthly tent, by the way. Because you ever gone camping? I hate camping. My idea of camping is like a holiday inn or something else. Like, that's the solid, right? But some of you, because it's Prescott, like camping. God bless you. You're a special breed. Right? But you get in a tent. Like, you get out there and you put your tent down. And, and what's the point of a tent? Shelter, you'll stay there, but what's happening to the tent? You're going to pack it up and take it with you. It can move. It's temporary. It's temporary. It's vulnerable because the wind and the storms can come. That's you. Your earthly tent is this earthly body. You ever break a bone? It's pretty fragile, pretty vulnerable. It's not designed to be here and be permanent. It's decaying. It's wasting away. And what he says is we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. What's the difference between a house and a tent? This one's permanent. Or at least hopefully. Not built by human hands. You know what the earthly tent, what we do, we try and build it by what? Earthly hands. And he goes, guess what? The next one you can't. You can't. He has to do it. He has to do it. It's not up for debate, by the way, whether you get one or not. You notice that? We have a building from God. Let's jump down to verse 7. For by, for we live by faith and not by what? But you know what? Someday we will live by sight. Because this old world is temporary. Eternity is coming, y'all. Eternity is coming, and it can happen now. Jesus could come. It could happen now. Jesus could come. It could happen now. You could die. It could happen now, right? It could happen right here, right now. Eternity, eternity. And what he's saying is by faith we believe that. And by faith we begin to structure our entire lives around that. Verse 8. We are confident, I say, and we prefer to be away from the body. Oh, I love that. That lets me live with confidence. That's why Paul could walk in and be stoned and get up and go back. Why? Because to be away from this is what? To be with the Lord. To be home. Home. Notice where home is. Home isn't where? Not here. Home is where? With him. When Jesus was asked about eternal life, Jesus told them that eternal life is to know the who? The Father. That's eternal life. To know him forever. Verse 9. So we make it our goal. We make it our goal. It's our target to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it, we make it our goal to please him. We make it our goal to structure everything towards him. Next verse. For we must all appear, all, context is everything. All in this context is believers that he's writing to. All of those that would say, I am a Christian. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. 
so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done well in the body, whether good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat. Now, this judgment seat of Christ, when you get into the original language, the word is bima. Okay? I want to give you a picture of what bima sounds like so that we don't confuse what the judgment seat of Christ is. The word bima was taken from a judge who would sit on a throne or on a chair that was elevated above everybody else. And as he would sit on it, he had a purpose. He was explaining the rules to a bunch of athletes. And those athletes then would compete in games based on the rules that the judge had put forward. And and they would compete and they would go out and then they would come as they would come towards the finish line. It was the judge's job to say who came first, who was second, who was third, how well everybody did. And when they were done, what happened is the judge would say, you have earned a crown and he would take a wreath and put it on their head. It was the victor's crown. The judge's job was not to take the losers out to the whipping post and beat them down. This seat, this Bema seat, was about rewards for what had been done. You either lost rewards or gained rewards, depending on how you had run the race. And so now this Bema seat is now used in the context of what's going to happen to us as believers. Those that say, I am a Christian, then I got news for you. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a judge on a seat, and it's Jesus himself right? It's Jesus himself. It's the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, let's, let's just get a glimpse of God for a second, okay? Because if you go into Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6 talks about the throne room, and it's filled with the glory of God, and it's so much so. God is so much that, I, that, that in that moment, he's on his face. Woe to me, he says, because I got a glimpse of God. And then fast forward to John, right? John's the guy that wrote the book of John in the Bible. And John's the guy that he, he kind of wrote about himself, but he did it in secret going, the disciple that Jesus loved, that whole thing, right? And so he writes about himself in secret. But what he says is that the disciple that Jesus loved, John, was resting where? Against the chest of Jesus. He was that close. He was that close. And he actually says that Jesus loved him, the disciple whom Jesus loved There's a closeness and intimacy. You know what happens? Fast forward to Revelation. Revelation, John gets a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus. And when he gets a glimpse of the resurrected Jesus, and there's his eyes are are like suns of fire. And then he talks about a sword that's coming out of his mouth. and, And Jesus is so big and so like vast that John, remember John's the one, that lay against his chest, the one that Jesus loved. John falls down as if dead before Jesus. Like, let's God-size God for a moment, okay? Now put that God on a throne that you are moving today with purpose. Why? Because I'm going to end up before a throne where Jesus is sitting. And what is he going to ask me about? What'd you do with what I packed in you? What'd you do with it? You see, I, it's, you, ever, you ever meet those people? I talk about grace, right? I will talk about grace till the day I die. We are saved by grace, maintained by grace, loved by grace. We will be sustained forever by grace. Like, it's all grace. But you start preaching that, and some people go, you know what? You're just giving people license to do whatever they want. If that's you, I want you to catch a picture of what's going on. Because I saw it this week for the first time that the moral integrity of our God is caught in the bema seat of Jesus. 
He cares about how we walk and how we live and how we move. So much so that there's a time in eternity where we're going to walk before him. And I don't think it's like the movie show. There's be a big screen and all your worst sins are on there. And everybody, ooh, look at that one. I don't think it's going to be like that. Because Jesus died and paid for those sins. But man, I don't want to get to that day and stand there. And I don't want to look my Jesus in the face and him go, that's so much more, John, if you would have just had the faith. It's so much more for you. I don't want to get there and watch the crowns go to everyone else. I want to fix my eyes on the prize ahead. And I want to run. As he's told me to run, I want to meet people and they matter, every single one of them, because they matter to him. I want to live like today matters. I don't want to go to lunch after this and go, eh, it's just in and out. It's a divine moment, every single one of them. They're divine souls, every single one of them. I got one last picture for you and then I'm done. I'm already over time. You're going to jack up the parking. You ever see the Olympics with a diver? The diver goes up to the board and does whatever he does. I never dove, but whatever he does, then he does his spins and his tucks and his little splash as possible. You're the picture of that. And your life is a dive. And some of you are up on the platform and the judge is waiting and watching to reward your dive. And then you decide to hug the board and shimmy backwards. <laughs> and you, 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 you crawl down the steps and you get to the edge and you put your toe in. Oh, it's cold. And then you do the biggest belly flop you can. And then you get out of the pool and you look at the judge and go, how'd I do? Y'all, I don't want a life like that. I don't want to get before my God and he go, why the heck did you do a belly flop when I gave you everything you needed to do the dive of a lifetime? I want to jump in without fear. Why? Because my eyes are on the future and my king is coming. My king is coming. My king is coming. So God, we come before you We're so grateful for you. So humbled by you. So humbled by the God who is so big and so vast and so beyond what I I can even imagine. So humbled that you chose us, that you pack us full of things to do for you. So humbled that you call us family. I'm so humbled that you have invited us to walk out and show the world who you are, God. And just that thought is humbling that that we can show anybody you. 
God, let us, let us as a community dive well. Let us catch a glimpse of you, the righteous one. God, let us walk into our spaces, our homes, our communities, our neighborhoods, our places of work, our places of play. Let us walk into each and every one and God, see people and souls the way you see them. Because eternity matters. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us purpose and potential. We love you. And everybody said, amen.